You first. You're the host. So are you. You're the star. <laughs> Look, your name is first. <laughs> Welcome to the Work in Progress podcast with your hosts, Phoebe and... today we are joined by our cousin Tom. Hello. Um, Tom, do you want to tell us a bit about you and what you do in theatre? Uh, yep, sure. I'm a production technician. I run a hire company. I've worked in theatre full-time for about 10 years uh, and I've worked in producing, receiving, touring, you name it, I've pretty much done it. That's very cool. Very cool. So we've all come together because over lockdown we have set up our own theatre company. It's called Work in Progress Theatre and we are currently producing a musical. (laughs) Um, This is the pilot, so this is kind of like the rough episode, I think. Lottie is our wonderful project manager who is uh, being dragged kicking and screaming into the theatre world by myself and Tom. We're going to look at some news and what's happening in the world of theatre at the moment. Uh, We have a segment called Lottie Listens, where Lottie will listen to a musical theatre cast recording. With no additional context. With no context. (laughs) No backstory, and then try and tell you what it's about. And this month you have been listening or tried to listen I to. I very hard to listen to Come From Away, but we'll talk about we'll that. We'll get to it. <laughs> and then because we have the lovely Tom on today as our guest, we're going to have some sparky stories from everyone's favourite Scottish sparky. And then we come on to the... That's adorable. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 could, that could go either way, let's face it. As well as a review of Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. Yes, you're the only person in the world that I would sit down to watch a movie or a musical and make notes while I watch it. <laughs> we have been singing King George's song around the house all week since we watched it. You'll be back. Can you do it in a posh accent? You'll be back. You'll be back. <laughs> One. One will be back. Can you do the, the Queen's English song? No. I can barely do I can barely do English, let alone I mean, the Queen's English. We're getting a bit of a Welsh twang now. Ooh. What a chat. Yeah. <laughs> I just try really hard not to swear. I can see it. So Tom isn't in the room with Lottie and I because of COVID. Plague. Um we're supposed to mention COVID. I don't know. We can. Can we? Because YouTubers are not allowed to mention COVID. Are they not? No, they get I, th- I think really? Yeah. So you know how I said I'd like censor swear words? Should I censor the word COVID as well? Okay. The plague? Uh, it's too dramatic. I, I feel like plague is accurate. That's what I've been saying. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The first piece of news we are looking at is the Murder Mystery Musical, which has been done by a whole heap of Broadway professionals and they've recorded it in their own home. And I think it's really cool. Has anyone here seen it? No. So what is it? It's a musical. Oh, no, no. 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 <laughs> Damn it, I saw oh, that's what you're here. <laughs> I thought this was talking about. I Lord wasn't the first I one to swear. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Wait, what? Get out! Look, there's a wall. I fell asleep during like the, the second or third one because it was just too long and I just couldn't be doing with it. Lord of the Rings. Extended version. I have no idea. I was asleep. I got a good cap. I'm not sure. Um, I think I need to leave. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> hey, bye. Well, crap. Yeah. Anyway, murder mystery. Okay, so it's it's here. So like, you can you can rent it. It's kind of like, do you remember like Love Film where you could rent a DVD? 
Yes. Or like you can rent a series. It's like that. Okay. So you rent to watch it and it's 90 minutes. It's 90, the 90 plus minute movie comes complete with never seen before footage filmed from the homes of some of Broadway's favourites. And it's, it's like a, it's like a whodunit, but it's a musical oh. and it's, so kind of like, I imagine having not seen it, it's kind of like a, like, you know how YouTubers film in their house and um, Tom Scud does those little sketches and stuff. I imagine it's like that, but it's a musical and it's like Cluedo. Okay, cool. So what it says on the website is, A Killer Party is a collaboration between more than 50 Broadway professionals all working together remotely, shot from home and delivered directly to your home. Bringing together actors, musicians and writers and creatives, press agents, backstage personnel and post-production editors and mixers, A Killer Party is not only a new musical, but a new type of musical. And when you purchase it, you are supporting these artists on stage and behind the scenes and keeping the arts alive. I think that's really cool. Interestingly, the... um. That whole idea of virtual something which people film in their homes hey. and edit together. I feel like we might have seen that before. I wonder what Lottie could be referring to. So on the 27th of February, Work in Progress had their first ever debut. However, because we started this company during a the pandemic, pandemic. <laughs> everything had to be done virtually and we did a cabaret called What Theatre Means to Us. Tom, do you want to put in your 50p? Because you might have heard a little bit about it, you know? <laughs> Isn't it two cents? Yeah. Yeah, when, Two when, cents, ten p. Do you do we say fifty? <laughs> I do. No, no, no. That's that's purely a Phoebe thing. Okay. My fifty p. Ah, it's done. Um, there was a yeah. lot of work. I, the sleep was a bit evasive for a while. When you have like forty <laughs> hours in a row. Yeah, I. There, there was a there was a little bit of there was a little bit of work and a little bit of render time. Goodness me, um, it was insane. Yeah, but it, you know, at the end of the day, the the important thing it's kind of the old theatre adage: show must go on, and we, uh, you know, the job got done. And That's, the yeah. cast, if you're listening, they better be listening. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this kitten has claws. <laughs> So the cast, if they're listening, it was really, really special, and I, oh, it was so good. We premiered three songs from Where the Bees Fly, and you can actually still watch it on YouTube. It's in the Beacons page on the Work in Progress. I will put a link in the show notes. Yes, there will be links in the show notes. How I do that? (laughs) Yeah. So this is the first episode. It's going to be a bit hit and miss. Nonsense. It will be perfect. It will. Yes. Only professionals in this house. Right. What's the next? piece of theatre news. So something that I've seen a lot on Instagram recently is Andrew Lloyd Webber's new musical Cinderella. It's like a retelling so have you listened to the single they released? No. So where we are at the 13th of March is when we're recording this we have heard bits of it including the title song which is sung by Carrie Hope Fletcher who I love. Give me a reference. Carrie Hope Fletcher was Eponine in Les Mis, she was Veronica Sawyer in Heathers and she's currently finishing up as Fantine in the Les Mis concert series. Okay I have no idea who any of those people are. Okay Tom you know who Carrie Hope Fletcher is right? Yes. I think she's great honestly. So she's playing Cinderella and she was saying on her Instagram that she started doing workshops for this show in 2019 team wow and i was like dear god that is a long time mm, well you know you, there's a there's a lot of the thing is it's a complicated script and it's and it's weber he doesn't take his he, he doesn't like rush much and um, everything his time is taken because the aim is to make the best product they can be uh, so i heard i heard the track you can you can tell from the first note that it's weber mm. it's just like okay how what what is has he got like a distinct? Yeah, there's there's a distinctiveness <laughs> to to Weber usually. Um, oh, say that again. 
sorry. <laughs> so there's there's a distinctiveness to to Weber's um music and soundtracks, and I can't I can't tell you exactly what it is. It's just you listen to it and you're just like, yep, this is going to be Weber, and it's going to be this oh, the same is the wrong word, but it's going to be in the same vein as every other Weber show, in that it's going to do really really well. Some people will love it, some people will hate it, but regardless, it's going to make a boatload of cash, and everyone's going to see it. And for the next five years, it's all you're going to hear about. I would actually second that. I feel like Andrew Weber in general is a bit like Marmite. You either really love it or you really hate it. What kind of stuff has he done? So he's actually redoing at the moment Phantom and Joseph. And so he has three productions set to open on the West End in July. Didn't he used to have a TV show? Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. They did that one. Second one. And they did did Sound of Music. music. Sound of Music. Was that him? Yeah. So they did auditions for... Um, Maria. The show was called How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria. It was a long time ago. Yeah. I barely remember that. Yeah, so I was born in 2002. You're going to have to take some sort of consideration. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you were old enough to have seen it, possibly. No, no, no. she wasn't. Because I was in... I, I'm surprised you remember it because I'm pretty sure I was in primary school when I came. No. If I, Tom I was, was in primary school, I didn't exist. <laughs> no, no, no. It was after that because I watched it with my parents. On the, it was on Saturday night. Should we just quickly Google when it was on? Okay. So he's redoing Phantom at the moment and Joseph. So Phantom opens 21st of July and Joseph opens on the 1st of July and then Cinderella has its debut on the 14th. So that's 2006. Yeah, Lottie, I was four. Wow. Wow, was that, it was that recent. That's surprising. Also, that's the earlier <laughs> photo came out. Can I see? <laughs> so for those of you listening, oh my God. <laughs> That looks like a Doctor Who villain. Mine is an evil laugh. Like, that's so cursed. So for those of you listening, well, you're all listening, no one can see it, but Lottie has been taking photos on her Polaroid camera. In fact, I'll put this on the Work in Progress Instagram because that's hilarious. And she tried, so she took some really cute ones of myself and Lottie, and then she tried to get one of Tom through the Zoom screen. (laughs) <laughs> and Tom looks like a, a Doctor goblin. Who villain slash goblin. It's a bit cursed. Yeah, thanks for that. It's uh, <laughs> really nice. Uh... So rehearsals for Cinderella actually started start of March and socially distant. Mm. Wow. They're on Android Glover's Instagram, and I follow um, the tour Jane Seymour from Six. Lauren Brin and she left six to be in Cinderella on the West End which was really cool it's her West End debut do you think you'll go and see it I think it's possible I'll go and see it I don't know if I'll I mean I'm in Cardiff and I I struggle to get over to London you know I've got friends there and I, I always struggle to get over and see it it's like I was supposed to go and see uh, Les Mes when it opened in the West End in January I was supposed to go and see it kind of March April time with a friend of mine who worked on it and it was like then there was things happened and that didn't happen and now it's closed so not to throw Lottie under the bus here but Lottie has never seen a musical on stage she's never like been to a theatre that's to see not anything. true you've seen Pan- you- have you seen Panto? no I came to see you when you did the West End okay that doesn't count right what? <laughs> She came, no, she's it, come to see me and stuff and so she's come to see me and stuff and that is it that doesn't you count you were a minion in some god awful thing that, that was a school, school production <laughs> yeah, that I doesn't mean, like, count either that, I was no, so that, excited to see you and you were on stage like I don't know five minutes okay so Lottie has only ever come to see theatre if it's something I've been in which I think is awful because that means that we've never had a theatre experience together no I've never had a theatre experience full stop well that's not I mean, true ouch no <laughs> no we did so i think first step when this whole panorama is over panorama (laughs) have you not seen that meme on twitter where it's like replace the word pandemic with anything beginning with p okay and it's my friends and i've just been doing it (laughs) i I don't know my favorite is to call it a panorama what other ones can we think um 
pugilist. I've seen people on Facebook call it a panny D, which I think is a bit camp. So I love that. Panny D is that like is that like a uh, paddle raisin sort of thing? No, when you see panny D, on, that's what comes to mind. Just people on my Facebook keep calling it a panny D, and that's I'm like, that's so camp. I'm gonna start using that. It doesn't make any sense though. What panny D? That's short for pandemic. No, I, I mean like to just use a different way of going with P. Does it have to make sense? Well, if if <laughs> if, if, if you're ble- if you're getting demonetized or marked down or whatever for using the scientifically appropriate words then you've got to come up with other words and i think panorama works it sounds similar pandemic panorama yeah, panoramas wasn't that like a really dramatic channel four show i thought panorama's like that thing on your phone where you like took a no pan- panorama is a bbc show that talks that's like supposed to be hard-hitting investigative journalism yes that's what i was talking <laughs> perfect. about perfect that's what we're calling covid on this podcast now oh my goodness okay, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to make like a blooper reel for this. No! I'm gonna have to make one and like post it on my TikTok or something. Yeah, that's good. It's gonna have to be a thing. Oh, so first step post panorama is get Lottie to a theater. I I vote we're going to Dear Evan Hansen. That's my like. Well, apparently you were gonna take me to see Come From Away, and we'll talk about why that can't happen <laughs> a little bit later. We will. Okay, so we've spoken about Cinderella, and the next thing I wanted to talk about was actually something I was having a conversation with Shaka. Are you two okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, why wouldn't we be? What's, yeah, what's, no, it's fine. Are, you, are you imagining things? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like for future. can't fe- hear us doing anything inappropriate. I feel like for future episodes, we should have the Zoom recording and make it like a no. YouTube video. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> news yet no <laughs> the news is like a segment right let's go segment segment the color purple is having an extended run yeah i was talking to shaka about this on what is the color purple thursday aside from a color i haven't spectrum? seen it and i haven't read the book but i know it's going to be really good so it's, it's a show that we know nothing about yes um, it's a show we know nothing about from a venue we know a lot about it's the curve and the birmingham hip so it's gonna be good like really good so the birmingham hippodrome and the Curve in Leicester. Okay. So the Curve in Leicester is the one that I know best. They, as a producing house, are phenomenal. They've done some brilliant work. I've worked on a couple of their shows when they've toured it, and they've always been good. The production value will be through the roof. The direction will be brilliant. The casting will be brilliant. There won't be a thing bad about it. Okay. Well, I just Googled it. It's based off of the novel, The Colour Purple, which was written in 1982. You say that like that was a really long time ago. That was a really long time ago. It was nearly 40 years ago. But like, it's, it's like, you know, like when we watched Hamilton and they were like, the year 1812, that's a long time ago. 1982 is not long Oh my God, ago. have you seen that TikTok audio where it's like, can you help me with my history homework? Yeah. What's the first question? When was the war of 1812? And the person's like, the war of 1812. What do you think 1812 was looking at dress. <laughs> 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 says taking place mostly in rural Georgia, the story focuses on the life of African American woman women in the southern United States in the 1930s, addressing numerous issues, including their exceedingly low position in American social culture. The novel has been the frequent target of censors and appears on the American Library Association of the 100 most frequently challenged books. Of which Harry Potter is also on that list. I actually think it's really great it's had an extended run, particularly with all the um, Black Lives Matter stuff we saw in 2020. The Colour Purple sounds like it's a really influential show for black creators and it's from what I can gather, it's an all-black cast. Cool. Right. Next bit of news is Tom. Talk to us. So this is the this is the the hope that theatres could reopen in May. Mm. Yes. Um, 
obviously it's, they're talking about them reopening from from May with some restrictions. What those restrictions will be aren't exactly clear. Yeah, as it was as in uh, theatres are subject to a capacity limit of fifty percent or one thousand, whichever is lowest. Outdoor performances to fifty percent or four thousand people, whichever is lowest. Wow. Um, that I mean, oh, there will be other things as well. There'll be a whole list of them. Some of Lloyd Webber's stuff and some Cam Mac stuff is looking. They're saying uh, Cam Mac has put Hamilton and Lee Mez on the schedule for kind of May June time. I fairly, I'd be surprised if that happened that early on on anything and you know even the even the small regionals that are you know that seat two three hundred you know we're not we're not going to see a return of that capacity that early simply because if you've got a you've got a a venue that can seat two thousand and you can only half fill it it's not going to be financially viable to do it so unless they come up with either your ticket price is going to be huge or it's going to be literally doubled because they've got to make it financially viable because like you're talking the margins on this stuff is like like usually 80 85 percent to to even all, wow. a lot of the time yeah so yeah that's going to be a that's going to be a tough one stage are also reporting that uh, the summer season with Glenbourne is their plan on kind of carrying on even if the capacity restrictions are there come the new year or come the summer we'll wait and see fingers crossed touching wood I, I really hope we're back soon but Tom I don't... financially really hopes that oh, yeah I really in fairness I mean we are already starting to see pickups you know if you bear in mind that so I've, I've done you know between last March so like 17th of March last year so like, a, like next week or a year next week like literally my entire calendar was just cancelled there was just red lines through everything wow. we, we had like it was it 285 grand's worth of work cancelled in three days Oof. and nothing booked from then on and since then uh, you know and I did one production job in Christmas and we had like a smoke machine went on to TV job for the BBC and that was about it and then this week I've had three production hires out the phone is starting to ring and I've got bookings for kind of later in this month so things are starting to happen um, a fair chunk of outdoor but it's going to be a while before we get back to, to full strength while things are starting to open at the moment theatre is like predominantly virtual speaking of which by the time this comes out we'll have actually done our auditions and we'll probably be announcing the cast soon but two of my friends who I go to university with and I we are hosting a cabaret called Underrated don't worry Tom you don't have to do anything <laughs> Tom's getting flashbacks yeah <laughs> this is not what I was notified about <laughs> Tom's like dear god not again no, no not again I, d- I don't think my little Mac mini can take it anymore hey but I you think... need an excuse to buy a new one yeah well I also need 700 quid to buy a new one and then like I couple of grand to buy a new package so underrated is going to be a cabaret of all the underrated musical theater songs and it's audition only and at the moment we're having people submit their auditions by a google form and then they're emailing us a video and we've had some really good submissions and we haven't really cast anything as of yet but by the time this comes out the 2nd of april auditions close 31st of march so we should be getting ready to announce the cast by about the time this comes out so what's your most underrated musical theatre? I'll do that again. Well, my favourite. <laughs> what's your most underrated? <laughs> oh my God. What's like... your... <clears throat> One second. What is your favourite most underrated musical theatre song? Why can't I say Okay, <laughs> so I have like two, I feel like underrated musicals. One of them technically had a Broadway run, so it's not super underrated, but no one talks about it. And it's my favourite musical, Finding Neverland. However, underrated musical in general. Yeah, it's so good. It has a it had a Mr. Schuster from Glee in it. I've not seen Glee. Oh. My education continues. Finding Neverland is so good. The best song from it, I think, is When Your Feet Don't Touch the Ground, I Will Sob. The other one is Daddy Long Legs. That entire musical is just gorgeous. 
um, it's kind of like Anastasia, but more folky. And my favorite song from that is The Color of Your Eyes, which I have been begging someone to sing with me for like the last forever. So if any tenors who are listening to this wanna hit me up on Instagram and sing this song, just please. What's a tenor? A t- okay, so there's different voice types. So you have soprano, alto, tenor, bass, and then there's like, there's- So deeper tenor. Like a high male voice-ish. Okay. Kind of, so it goes more in depth than that, but like I'm a soprano, so I sing really high. You're probably like a mezzo-soprano, which is in between soprano and alto. Okay. Then you have alto, then you have contralto, which is like Baron Caroline. Alto is probably like Shaka, and then me, Sinead Hannah are sopranos. Then you've got your tenors. Who, who do you know who's a tenor? Um, Sean Mendes is a tenor. Don't know who Sean Mendes is. Oh my god, <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> I'm still, um, yeah, I've been okay. The only, new, the um, only new music I've listened to in the last year and a half is this Taylor Swift's album Folklore, and then she released another one. And I was like, I can't keep up. Um, um wait, hang on, Tom. What's your favourite underrated musical theatre? I know the answer to this. <laughs> you know the answer, yeah, Phoebe knows the answer to this. So it's, um, oh, it's stuck between two and they actually one rolls into the other. Um, it's from Pippin and it's either the on track or a track called On the Right Track. Um, and they, in the show, they roll into each other. They're two brilliant, they're two brilliant songs um, that fit together really well. It's a really, really good show with a, I mean, it was, like, it was a broadcast, sorry, it was a Broadway run put out in 2013, but I still think it was, it's underappreciated. It's vastly underappreciated. A lot of people don't like it. Phoebe, for example, I don't think is a massive fan of it. We'll see that. Would that be fair to say? I don't think I actually dislike any musicals. Pretty sure we were talking about it, and I put you guys like, no, I just, don't, I just don't like that. Yeah, well, I don't dislike Pippin. It just wasn't a show that I really got into. However, I do love, like, I've heard loads of people saying "Corner of the Sky" auditions and stuff, and I do like it. Yeah, I like "Corner of the Sky." Uh, you know, if, there's very few tracks in it that aren't really good, but um, On the Right Track just has, yeah. If you haven't listened to it, On the Right Track from Pippin, original cast recording in 2013, it's on Spotify and Apple Music question. and all the others. Tom, why don't we make a playlist to go with the podcast where we can put, say, a musical theatre song of the month or, say, two? Or eat, we could each pick one and whoever's yeah. a guest so for example Tom anything we talk one. about so the underrated ones we can put on there oh we can't that yeah. is going to be a released when the show is no no is no, in the underrated well, the oh. ones we think are underrated the ones that we think are underrated okay. um and then our favorite ones from whatever we've listened to so come from away or hamilton or whatever yeah i know i was yeah. going in there for yours <laughs> yes you'll be back <laughs> lottie's um, obsessed i'm obsessed <laughs> she is she was we were at the piano last night <laughs> we were Phoebe taught me how to ish sing from the from the not a bad the range actually Lottie's got a solid two octave range nice. okay so are we moving on to work in progress update? we're out of the news yeah so work in progress um there's not really much to update you on thank you so much for everyone who came to support the cabaret we're currently the writing team we're all doing rewrites at the moment for where the bees fly the musical i wrote over lockdown that my genius baby sister wrote during lockdown because it's amazing <laughs> And she sent me cuts of all the songs and I played them to all my friends because you're so talented and amazing and I just want to show you off to the whole world. (laughs) (laughs) You tried not to vomit. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love you. There's a a little bit of uh, oversweet there. It's like, can can we take a few few pounds of sugar out of that one? (laughs) No. So over lockdown, I wrote a musical all about saving the planet. It's got time travel in it, and it's it's cool. Gonna be, it's very cool. It's very See, cool. I can write it, and I can like 
I can write music and I can write scripts, but I can't talk about it, is what I've found. Okay. Because I was talking... Oh my goodness, who was I talking to? I was talking to one of mum's friends. And she's like, so what's Where the Bees Fly about? And I was like, um... In a nutshell, it's a story about a young girl called Lotta who travels with her history teacher to 2017 and then the Industrial Revolution in the hopes of saving the planet. What year does it start in? Because you say they're travelling back to 2017. That's only three years from now. How far in the future is it set? It's that's set the... in 2080. So that's essentially it, really. And um, we're just doing rewrites and getting the dialogue up to scratch because we're hoping to do some workshops this summer um, with <laughs> the current cast. Okay, so next segment. So Song interlude! It should just be this. Just feed you both gin. <laughs> Get you hammered. You can do just sing the intros. It'll be fine. We're filming at half past two in the afternoon. No gin yet. Next segment is Lottie Listens, which was... This is a really great concept for a segment, which is basically I listen to a cast recording album. Yes. Cast album. By somebody. Um, yeah, if you have any suggestions, you can send us them, but we have got like the next year planned. Yeah, so the idea is that it should be something I know nothing about, I haven't had any background, um, and the only thing I was told about this, so this one, this week is, or this month, is This has come from away, because I've been listening to it a lot to, uh, we chose Come From Away because I've been listening to it a lot recently and I got Tom to listen to it, and I was like, Lottie, listen yeah, to it. Yeah, it's stuck in my brain. It's, yeah. I was actually, I However, was out last night, I was listening to it on my drive home. It's so good, isn't it? But um, the only thing I told Lottie about it is that it is about 9-11. Yeah, so I did mention that I have, I find 9-11 a very t- difficult subject, um, and it makes me slightly emotional, which I don't slightly. think- Slightly! I don't think Phoebe believed when I told her this, because she said it's about 9-11, and I said, I can't, I can't do it if it's about 9-11, and but, she said, but it's, it's happy, it's fine, it's, it's okay, you, you'll be fine. It's like a very feel-good 9-11 story, that's not a thing. <laughs> Uh, okay, it's, it's, it takes a more positive view on something that was happening at that yeah. time, from what I've heard. So it, the point... it's, it's, a, it's a show about pulling the positives out of the worst of situations. Yeah. Yeah, so so all the only thing I know going, knew going in was it's set around the time of 9-11, basically. Um, and Phoebe challenged me, go in, listen to it, and tell me what it's about. So I went to go pick up the microphone that we're current record- currently recording on um, last night when I put it on in the car and I thought I'll listen to it and I'll get back and I'll finish it off and then I'll be ready to go. Um, and I made it to my friend Holly's, um, fine. Uh, the minimal emotion, it was okay. And then uh, on the way home, I had to hit pause and I couldn't listen to it anymore. And then she <laughs> came in the house and was like, Phoebe, I need a hug. I need a hug. <laughs> I need a hug right now. I just find it really, really hard to- I mean, what, I what track did you get to? So I enjoyed it. It was really good and it was really interesting. But I got up to the point mm. where, so they'd done the, is it 28 hours or whatever? Yeah, where they're stuck on the plane. Or, yeah, so they're uh, stuck on the plane for that long. And then the next one, it feels like a kind of transitional song. So yeah. they're talking about getting them through the airport and onto buses to go to the um, Salvation Army place. And um, yeah. there's a, a bit where a guy comes and sit next, sits next to a woman and he asks about whether she's heard any news about her husband. And she says no, and I'd rather not talk about it. And like, just the whole enormity of the fact that there were thousands of people who were stuck, had no idea what was going on, no idea what had happened. And also there were all these people that flew to their deaths or fell to their deaths or were, you know, trapped essentially. And they all knew they were going to die. And it all just hit me all at once. And I was like, no, I can't do anymore because I'm going to crash the car because I'm crying. 
So, sorry, Lottie has not listened to Come From Away all the way through. But what I think it's about is the play. Is it Newfoundland? Newfoundland, yeah. New, Newfoundland. Yeah. Thank you. Newfoundland. Um, the people there and all of the things that they did to help the people who were on grounded planes. Um, I don't know if there's like a, a smaller plot around specific characters or anything, or if it's just generally about that. Um, but yeah, I don't think I can finish listening to it because it's just, it makes me way too sad. So two things. First of all, no one ever play Lottie I'll Be Here from Ordinary Days, dear God. (laughs) Or actually, no, that would be like emotional warfare, let's not do that. Yeah, I'm not good with emotional things. Secondly, you're absolutely right. It's about a group of passengers who are staying in Newfoundland until they can fly back. There are real people with real stories, so the one that I always found as a highlight was Captain Beverly Bass, and that is because my favourite song in the entire musical is Me in the sky mine too mine too yeah so tom and i have listened to this quite a lot and it's yeah what did you think tom i i think it's a it's a, it's a brilliant soundtrack um so i i i've seen the show um i really enjoyed it um yeah, the soundtrack doesn't give you quite the whole story but i think it gives you more of the story than a lot of soundtracks do because the way the whole show was written the dialogue the script and the the lyric combined so heavily that I mean I remember watching an interview a couple of weeks ago with the right one of the or both the writer and the lyricist uh, and they were saying that they struggled when they were making the cast recording because the lyric and the dialogue are so intertwined they struggled to figure out where the lyric started and the dialogue began and ended and so otherwise because basically what they end when they looked at it the first draft was basically the just the audio of the entire show um so you know it's it's a really really well written it's just it's just good it's well written it's brilliantly performed the fact that the whole thing with like 30 odd characters is only performed with a cast of 12 wow i didn't know that um yeah so um oh so one of the one of the teachers from uh, uh, from the very beginning uh, welcome to the rock the younger sounding teacher whose name i can't remember the actress who plays her is also the same actor that plays Captain Captain Bass. Oh, wow. Yeah, and there's just, there's this constant jump. And as you watch the show, you'll see there's this constant change from, from character to character. And literally, they can have one line difference between being one character or, you know, between jumping between three characters. Uh, and they'll, uh, yeah, it's just really well done. Um, the staging, um, I don't know, having, if, if, if neither of you have seen the show, how complicated do you think the set is? I imagine it's quite minimalist. Yeah. It's really minimalist. For a Broadway show, it is a single set, 12 chairs and three tables. Wow. And an awful lot of props. It, it's it's so well done. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, it's um, the, the story itself, I think, I, I think for, you know, I was, what, 11 when it happened. And, you know, and even now, you know, what was it, 20... Oh dear me, 20 years on, you know, you still, we watched the, the videos of what happened on that day and you, you're still somewhat taken aback by it. You don't know what, you don't know what you're doing with it and you don't know how to feel about it, but it's a, it's, yeah, it's very sad. And I'm not saying the show is exactly the happiest, but it's finding positives. You know, the, the show, the show tries to find the positives and it's, they've squeezed as many, literally as many stories they can. You know, there were 16,000 people in uh, on Newfoundland on September 12th, after all the planes had landed. And, you know, they, they, they got as many stories as they possibly could. And they, and it's the things, it's an incredibly 
incredibly funny show somehow in the midst of everything it manages to be an incredibly funny show like you know what you know what's going in the moment you hear the date for the love of god please stop bringing toilet paper to the to the lions club yeah. uh, you know that's yeah it's it that just sums it up i think through and through so interestingly so tom you you and i were both alive when it happened phoebe you would not born no so is, it, is it a different set of emotions when you because is it like thinking about history because i guess for us it's history but it was also very real and we remember what it felt like yeah when it happened so my so my school year is actually the last year of school to have people who were born before the 9-11 attacks because september my school year was september 2001 to august 2002 yeah so i feel kind of detached from it in a way like i know it happened and i think it was awful and I know, obviously, members of my family who are affected. However, it doesn't quite feel the same. I don't feel the same level of emotion that you do because it, yeah, you it's different because you're what you're. I can't even comprehend it. I never. I, but also, you have you have it's it is like history for you because everything you've experienced is somebody else's memories. Whereas Tom and I have memories of it actually happening and all of the fallout and everything like that. And it's like the airport change because I think the biggest difference is because there was a huge change in airport security and how like going to the airport was yeah. after nine eleven. Yeah, so but not not, ju- not just the airport, like railway stations, bus stations, like the, the literally the whole world changed, you know, yeah. it, and it only got worse after, you know, the likes of 7-7 seven, seven and Glasgow Airport, it, you know, it just got worse and worse and worse. Anyway, this is very depressing. Yeah, we, so yeah, come yeah. from away, what are we ranking it? I think it's one of my favourites. It's in my like top 10. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's up there. It's, it's almost managed, I think it's managed to kick Wicked out of my top 10. Ooh, wow. <laughs> I think um, I really enjoyed the music style and I really enjoyed, like you said, the kind of mix between lyricism and script almost. Um, but it was just, I, I'm just too much of an emotional duck and it was too much for me. It's I like the way I <laughs> yeah. could really tell the characters through the writing. Having never seen the show, I could like imagine the characters and I could see it very clearly in my head. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, I think that was part like, of the, the character, Like the <laughs> characterization yeah. in the lyrics and the voices was there. Yeah. It wasn't like been less good. I think I would have yeah. been able to listen. To it, it wasn't like just listening to a piece of music. It was like I felt like I was watching it, but I wasn't. Yeah, it was really yeah. excellent. Sparky stories. Give us something hilarious after that very so, sad. Oh, oh, something hilarious. Oh, there's. Who's your favorite person you've ever worked with? Like famous person, if you're allowed to say. Oh, so uh, some of the some of the, it's really it's really challenging because I have I've had some really fun times over the years. I've done shows with Bill Bailey. You know, I, I've done a lot of stand-up comics. Like I had, uh, I remember a couple of weeks before the the Scottish independence referendum, like was that 2015, 2016? About a couple of weeks before that, we had um, uh, uh, pub, uh, Al Murray, the pub landlord, uh, and, and who everyone thinks, you know, the character is very much, uh, you know, oh, yeah, like he's got like, I think it's two master's degrees. Yeah, he's super clever. <laughs> And so, so his entire sound check was he and I debating Scottish politics. That was forty minutes of he and of me and I'm just just going at it and talking about various points of Scottish politics, and that was fun. There, there's oh, there's been so many over the years. You're gonna have to come and do this once a month, so you need to. Start oh, day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have to. Right, okay, um, I'm also gonna think of what's what's appropriate um okay i'll tell you this one and you can tell me if i'm allowed it or not so about five years ago michael palin was doing had just written a new book michael palin of you know around the world in 80 days and 
all the uh, all the adventure shows that he did, and then obviously Monty Python. It's where most people know him from. And so he'd just launched his new book, and he and he'd come in and he was doing his book tour to kind of promote the show. It's kind of a Q and A sort of thing. So he, he's in that, and he's in our studio space, which is a really small venue. It's a really strange venue. It's a, it's an old building in the middle of an industrial state that used to be a U.S. Air Force base. Yeah, it's it's very weird. It's Greenham Common, a new Greenham Arts Centre, and there's there's a little venue, seats about 100. And then also in this building, you have a little studio space where basically artists can pay like, like a fiver a month or something like that to rent like a little cubicle so they could have like a little art studio. And then also in this building was a, a tandoori. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's the weirdest place you've ever been to. We're all set up. He comes in. There's myself and Ed, who's who was one of my freelance staff. He's still a freelancer for me now. And um, Naomi Sykes, who used to do big, she used to own a big sound company and really top-notch uh, sound engineer. And she kind of sold that and decided she was going to do other things. And she was working there. So she was the house manager that night. And there's myself and Ed. And just before the start of show, Michael, there's myself, we're ready to open the house. And Michael Palin's tour manager is sitting there and we're like, okay, we're ready to open the house. And she comes out, his tour manager, I can't even remember her name, Alison or something. She comes out and says, we've got a little problem. I'm like, okay. So we go up on the stage to speak to, you know, behind the tabs and everything to speak to Michael Palin. And uh, the, the dressing rooms in the venue back on to the toilets for the tandoori. And basically somebody who was going to the tandoori Tandoori before they had their meal decided they were going to make space for their meal so they were going to the bathroom and they started throwing up something chronic like just like and you could hear I mean their, their walls weren't thick to start with but you could hear it from the back of the auditorium over the music through like four walls and all the tabs and the projectors running and everything and we were sitting there with Michael Palin who's standing there with his head in his hands going why does this always happen to me? Myself and Naomi standing there going, like, what can we do about this? And his tour manager on the floor, like literally doubled over in a little ball, just laughing to the point where I actually think she made she may have actually wet herself. Like <laughs> she was just in creases. And we're all sitting there just going, just listening to this guy blow chunks for about 10 minutes and just like oh it was just the most surreal thing I've ever one of the most surreal things I've ever been through just Michael Palin standing there going why me why does this always happen to me lost his tour manager who's presumably is well, her job is to be solving this particular problem but she's just too busy lapping on the floor whilst Naomi and I are just standing there looking at each other going uh, I'm really sorry pardon did he stop bombing before the show he stopped. We waited him. We waited for him to stop vomiting before they brought the audience in because the the Ed, who was at sound position at the back of the auditorium, could hear him vomiting. So we would we would have had the audience coming in listening to the guy chunder as much oh as God. I mean I I am not hundred percent sure they couldn't hear him waiting oh, out in the foyer anyway. <laughs> but oh, it was just so bad. It was so bad, but it was so funny. So yeah, that's that's one of the, uh, that, that's the one that, that's the first one that came to mind. I don't know if that's appropriate for the channel. Yeah, I think that, that's okay. That's a good start. Okay, good. No one got hurt. Yeah, you didn't do anything illegal. I doubt Michael Palin's going to listen to this. He, he, you know, you never know. And in fairness, Michael Palin, he's a really nice guy. You know, he sat and had a chat um, after it. He, 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 say again? 
We have to say that about everybody on this show. Yeah, but Tom's not just saying that. No, I'm not just saying that. He's actually a genuinely nice guy. Uh, I'll trust me. You'll be able to tell from my tone if someone's a nice guy or not. Uh. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I think the rest of the show. So is Hamilton. You haven't seen Hamilton yet, have you? No. No. I have not. not so we're going to talk yet. about Hamilton in some detail. So I think um, I think we're going to say goodbye to you. You've been kicked out. Okay. <laughs> And then I'm being booted off the call. Wonderful. Sorry. All right, well, um, yeah, no, no, that's fine. But we should stay in the Zoom, so it'll keep, record, so it'll keep yeah, recording. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Well. Bye. Do I leave the call? <laughs> Press the leave button. Twice, apparently. Okay, so Hamilton. I'm so excited to talk about Hamilton. So this, uh, this is the first... I guess, would you say it's the first piece of proper, proper musical theatre that I've watched? Yeah, at least the first one we've watched together. It's definitely the first one we've watched together. And you're the only person I know who I would ever take notes while watching something for. I'm really not sure that they're they're good notes, though. I'll be honest. I mean... (laughs) Um, Shall I take take you through my first few just to give you an example? Why don't we talk about it first? So if anyone here hasn't seen Hamilton, I would actually recommend maybe tuning out now because we are going to be talking. Yeah, with... Pause for three hours, go watch it. (laughs) Okay, so if you've been living under a rock since 2016, Hamilton is the R&B musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda telling the story of founding father Alexander Hamilton. Who, as we have just established, is not on Mount Mount Rushmore because that's got presidents on it and he was never president because he a dirty dog. So... (laughs) Initial thoughts. What did you think, Lots? Um, initial thoughts rather than my very extensive notes. Yes. Okay. So initial thoughts, I thought it was amazing. Um, I'll be honest, when you told me it was about Alexander Hamilton, I was I was quite literally like, I don't know who that is. And then you said it's about American history. And I was like, okay, this is not sounding like something I will enjoy. Not that I don't like American history, but it just sounds a bit dry. We're very know? British. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, but then um, we started watching it and it's incredible it it's oh. worth it it deserves all the hype it gets it's it's insane. A, it's the first it can put you off i think the first five minutes because your brain goes there's so many things happening and i don't know if yeah. i can follow it and I'm, ne- I'm never gonna be able to make sense of the story but then after, it's like you just kind of start to translate it and then it all makes sense i first kind of like reading shakespeare in that way yes absolutely first five minutes you're like whoa what the hell are they saying and then, and then like, you get like five pages and you're like yeah okay okay i get I'm this with now. you thou art <laughs> Rad AF. <laughs> so Lottie and I both did English literature A level. Yay. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Okay, so should we just go through our notes? We both have a lot of notes. So uh, yeah, I do feel like my notes are not necessarily the best thing to use because honestly, the quality of my notes. Because like my first note is, I don't know who Alexander Hamilton is. I really want to Google. That's the first thing I wrote down. Well, I think it it translates very well because I imagine if you are American and you you're seeing this, you know already at least a little bit who Alexander Hamilton is and who Alan Aaron Burr is. I just almost said Alan Burr. Alan Burr. Oh, <laughs> Pardon like me. Are you Alan Burr? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I did actually write rap musical i'm worried i won't be able to keep up and i also phoebes is very excited about the turntable so something i should mention is i'm watching i watch this very much from an audience member's perspective phoebes as a as a producer of her own musicals was watching this also from a production perspective yeah i i was just obsessed with the turntable that's what most of my notes are on i i think it's so well used and it 
actually inspired a lot of the staging for where the bees fly particularly and or factory i was like yes that's what it's gonna look like okay so i did write people got very excited about the turntable I then also wrote, someone is wearing a beanie, which is not in keeping with the rest of the costume. No, that was Hercules Mulligan. Why was he wearing a beanie? I actually don't know. This is the late 1700s. There were no beanies then. If anyone knows the answer to that, please let us know. Yeah, correct. If school me, if beanies were a thing in the 1700s, then that is cool. I also wrote Pirates of the Caribbean clothes. I want to figure out whether or not Pirates of the Caribbean timeline like lines up, because I did get serious Pirates vibes. I did just watch that the other week. Okay. So I don't know. Because you quite quickly understand that this is they're still under British rule. Yeah. Um, it's good. And we did try to, to pause a lot so you could ask some questions. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was you call them the ensemble. I call them the other the people that aren't principal cast members. I don't know. Is that the ensemble? Is that the right the word? The ensemble were my highlight of the, apart from the turntable, which I praise the turntable, but my highlight of that entire production were the ensemble. They made it work. They were like clockwork. It was beautiful. Well, they, I, they were like part backing dancers, part like background characters, but also at times like they were like part of the set. So like at one point they're like, they, they make a desk. Yeah, that's my highlight of the entire production is... Which song is that in? Um, running Hamilton. Out of Time. The one about him running out of time. Yes. Um, so that section, it's second act, I think. Yeah, definitely second act. So Hamilton is... There's no dialogue. The soundtrack is the dialogue. Like, there's no... Yeah. It's actually structured like an opera in that way and that there's no dialogue apart from that. So I loved that bit where Hamilton is trying to write something down. Um, it's in the essays bit. Is it? Yeah, it's when they said that Hamilton wrote the 51 and then... I Hamilton, thought it was um, it? when he's like... Um, it's later on because I, I highlighted it. I literally highlighted it in my notes. I know it's before Burn because halfway through Burn I was thinking about the table. It was... Oh my god, my, my notes are not at all helpful. Oh, neither. How did the dancers not fall off the chairs? I like their dresses. Oh, when they introduced the sisters. That was cool. their dresses. Um, I liked that they had like a colour. It's very much Disney princess. You can identify who they were by the colour of their dress. Yeah. yeah. My favourite costume has to be um, Maria Reynolds in Say No to This, that red dress. But that's my favourite. She's my- meant to be kind of a bit... Harlotty, yeah. Harlotty. My... Yes, so... I know what Lottie's is, but Lottie, what's your favourite number in Hamilton? You'll be back, which is the king singing to America about how they'll be back and that, that you don't want to throw away this, this this beautiful relationship that they have. And he'll also go to war and kill you all if you try to leave, basically. It's a brilliant, but it's like super catchy, super upbeat. It's very much in contrast to the rapping. I, mm-hmm. did, I do enjoy everything in there, but that, for some reason, it's just like a super cheeky one. Um... I, I did pick out, I really love anything that came out of George Washington's mouth. Like, literally anything. He was like, everything he said was super well thought out and super poignant for all of the characters. Like, he said, dying is easy, living is harder. And then later on, he said, winning was easy, ruling is harder. Um, I'm trying to find out where the table bit was. Okay, if you watch Hamilton, I'm assuming if you're still here, you have. The bit where he's writing something and it's the why do you write like you're running out of time? That yeah, bit. Yeah. And two people in the ensemble have the table and it's at a slant. And I just think it's so beautiful and it's they so make, well done. They, they because are the they best. could have just placed the desk down, but they didn't. And it's like slanted and the rest of the ensemble are around them. And it's, oh. It's super good. And the way, there's loads of them doing it because Hamilton has a very big cast. 
and it's so well thought out and so well placed and that was my highlight of the entire show was that little section other highlights for me are of course the choreography in Battle of Yorktown I think it's insane yeah that was really good I like how they didn't have it was almost as if the ensemble were like the special effects yeah so like in a movie where you see like stuff get blown up it but it was the people doing it it was it was so it gave you loads of context for like what was happening it was very well done I love I love all of Hamilton mostly there are some bits I personally if I was producing it I wouldn't do for example I think there are some bits when the physical theatre is a bit too much what did I, I think I wrote in my notes this is a bit GCSE drama let me find it oh was it when um the guy who previously been his friend John played his son no oh it was the bullet yeah it that was, was exactly I love the multi-rolling yeah I think that was so well done so the principal cast were the principal cast even if they were only in act one or act two the bit I thought was a bit much is when who gets shot the very first one not Philip first duel um just before meet him inside it's Charles Lee yeah so Charles Lee gets shot and I didn't like the way the bullet was a person moving across I see I did I thought it was I thought it was a really good way to like slow down the thing and also have it when he then reacted it wasn't just like oh he's reacted to a pretend bullet I don't know I just thought it worked really well but I understand what you're saying I think it worked better because they did it three times. They did it when Philip died and when Hamilton died. And I think it worked better with those two. I didn't like it for Charles Lee. Maybe because I didn't have the same emotional connection to him. Possibly. But I was just like, I would rather that had just been like a flash. Yeah. Because, (laughs) well, no, because he doesn't die in the, I think he's just like taken off by doctor. It's not said if he dies or not. You just wanted him to be gone then. I just, I feel like the tension was building and building and I feel like it was just a quick flash would have been better there because George Washington was showing up and I was like, I want to see how this pans out. I don't want to see someone from the ensemble being a bullet because as incredible as the ensemble are, I didn't want to see that at that point. I wanted to see the action from the principal characters. Mm -hmm. Something I do like though is the way the principal cast can be ensemble at the same time. Yes. In that they can stand out when they need to but they can also blend in. With the exception, I think, of Eliza there were some bits where Eliza was in the background and I was like that's really distracting because yeah, she see her yeah. I think partially because of the costume because her costume was quite bright yeah it was like this sky blue and the ensemble have these gorgeous gorgeous um like cream cream undergarments not undergarments that sounds like it's something else but they're like they're not it's not full period dress because obviously it's a lot it's a very dance heavy ensemble yeah so it has like the connotations of the period like you know it's in you know the time period but it's also practical so they can move around in it yeah and i love that but one of the things that i wrote down which i thought was really interesting was you so you start the show you really really uh, for me personally anyway i really liked alexander hamilton like mm-hmm. to begin with as a as a person i thought he was really cool and he the things he said made a lot of sense and he seemed to be you know against slavery and all this stuff and then you kind of see his transition where he almost goes to the bad side a little bit and you feel as though they're portraying him as somebody who's done something wrong and kind of negative especially with him cheating on his wife yeah and the whole financial system thing it just all seems as though he's become a little bit power hungry and when he goes off and he leaves eliza and the family to go and take on is it treasurer i don't know whatever his role is um that he goes to take he um i I wrote down is he prioritizing the needs of the country for his family which is he absolutely or is he prioritizing his need to be the person that does this his his you know it, it validates him and and because he's always been told that he's special and interesting and he has this crazy good backstory is he just scared of 
being somebody normal you know the what's the line that eliza always says this could be enough yeah it's never enough enough. it's never enough for him and i think some of some of why he runs off to do what he does is because nothing's ever enough and he has that need to be validated it's like he'll never as angelica says he'll never be satisfied i actually think that eliza and hamilton at least i'm talking about them not as real people i know they were real people however i'm talking about them as musical characters not this whole thing i have no context so we know very little american history so we're talking about them as if they were fictional characters even though they're not so i feel like eliza and hamilton are an awful match like they eliza is i dare i say a bit of a mary sue and that that there's no depth to her character it's like she is this really sweet young woman and then she's a mum I feel like we get a little bit of character development when Philip dies, but... But it's still... She's a mum. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, she's nowhere near she's... as in-depth as, like, Angelica. Angelica. You see so much more about... Like, Angelica and Hamilton, I think, in many respects, at least for the sake of the musical. Again, I'm saying that because I don't want any history buffs to be like, oh, that's not the case at all. At least the musical, I feel like Angelica and Hamilton are very much soulmates. Like, they have that chemistry. They can bounce off each other, and they're both as intelligent and ambitious as one another. But I... When it comes to real life relationships, though, you often find that two people who are very similar don't work together because whose ambition becomes more important Mm. at the end of the day. You know, you often find that you in pairings, you have someone who's more ambitious than someone who can support the other person's ambitions, because otherwise, you know, what can they offer each other kind of thing. So, yes, I understand, I think, from an intellectual and uh, having things in common and um, personality basis angelica and alexander were like way closer to to each other's kind of zone but i don't think that makes necessarily for a good match and certainly not in those days an outspoken woman for a guy who's trying to change history probably wouldn't have been a good thing Mm. um so so i do think that sometimes that and you're right we do just see her as she's a very innocent woman and then she's a mother and sometimes that's a good pairing so for me i didn't see them as badly matched i just my focus was more on him she for me she was she supported him that was that was her job i think we don't really get to see a lot of eliza like she's there quite a lot and there are some bits like dear theodosia she's in the background at the end of the song yes i really didn't like that it was so off-putting because i wanted to concentrate on aaron burr and alexander hamilton talking about their children and then she comes in and says that john lawrence passes away yeah I don't understand why she's there before at the end of the song. Why couldn't she come in afterwards? Yes, no, I agree. I, I just, found that distracting as well. It's, I don't know if it's just the way it was shot. Maybe if you see it live, it's different, but... You can see her, yeah, quite and clearly. Again, sometimes when she's in the ensemble, I'm like, well, there's Eliza. Why is she there? Yeah, she draws focus. The one time I think it was really well done is having Eliza just in the background was Battle of Yorktown when she walks over the top. Yes. That was really good. Because he mentioned he's thinking about, oh my God, I have a wife. I need to not die. Yeah, and there like, she is. My Eliza's expecting and she walks across. That but was... she wasn't there for long and she didn't stay there yeah and you had to really i think pay attention to notice that she was like so much going on at the time yeah i think it it's very it's a very very complicated character and obviously his history is very very complicated you know him sleeping with the woman god what's her name mariah reynolds mariah reynolds and whether or not it was done specifically for bribery uh, one of the things i really <laughs> one of the things i really really enjoyed was how they showed i think it was meeting of like congress or whoever whatever it was the rap battles were, were done as rap battles that was so good i uh, liked that because it almost it broke them away from here we are telling a story and it was literally just about them going head to head and they were insulting each other and it was that was the only time where I really forgot, oh, I'm hearing a story. And I was like, I'm watching Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton have an argument. Yeah. That was the only time I ever really felt that way. I 
I loved it. I loved the way they kind of brought it into modern day. And I haven't seen Hamilton live. However, I would like to just because of the audience interaction. It's their, their face in the audience saying, what do you guys think? Yeah. And I think that very much represents particularly having just seen um, Joe Biden and Donald Trump go toe to toe. And kind of like it had the same energy for me as like the Twitter war. Well, Twitter war is really just Donald Trump trolling. Or the um the debates that they had, the conferences where they went toe to toe. Yeah, like actually live. Those a hundred percent, or maybe more so Thomas Jeff- Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton. That was very much like Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Yes. Yeah. I did feel though. So it made it did bring me sl- when those ended. It kind of brought me out of the show a little bit because one of the things I found was all the time because of the ensemble and the things going on there's multiple things happening at once and you can tell what they're doing is telling a very big story over lots of time frames in a really condensed way so they're trying to give you all this information all this context so that you understand what's going on and there's very few moments i would say the rap battles burn and philip's death and yeah i think those are the only three times where you're really there's like two or three characters on stage they're doing what they're doing and that's it I like the difference though, because there are really minimalist bits like Dear Theodosia, like Burn, where there's one character on stage and, or there's a handful of characters on stage and it's all about that action, but then there's massive bits like The Room Where It Happens, Battle of Yorktown, where everyone is on stage and it's explosive, like with the ensemble vocals as well, as someone who teaches voice. Yeah. It's so satisfying to hear and it's such a well-rounded sound and i love that you can't pick out individual voices in the ensemble it's like one sound yeah it's amazing but i do find i found going between those whilst it served a purpose for the story for me it was very jarring yeah so the things the things i really remember about the show the plot points are those those pieces where you've got the singular characters i think because i've only ever seen it once the stuff where there was a lot of things happening it was like almost information overload at points it was an awful lot yeah. so it was it was quite jarring to go between the two not that i didn't enjoy it but it was just odd for me but i haven't seen a lot of musical theater yeah. so i don't know if that's something that they do i didn't find it so jarring but i had watched it a hand i've watched it a handful of times beforehand but cycling back to burn and i was saying about middle min, min, cycling back to burn and talking about the minimalism, I actually think Burn should be more minimalistic. I didn't like the fact that there were props and that she had the flame, whereas it's very symbolic and very beautiful. I feel like Philippa Sue has this incredible voice and it's the one time where we see Eliza as her own person, not Philip's mother or Alex's, Alexander Hamilton's wife. Yeah. We see her as her own person and she is hurting, she is angry and she is bitter and we don't see that anywhere else and she does burn so, so, so well. But I feel like having her hold this fire and stuff, it's just really distracting. I would rather it was just her on stage by herself or maybe with a chair. Just, yeah. I thought like that would have more of an impact. I understand where you're coming from, but I don't know if the reason why that was so distracting is because we watched it be filmed. Because if you're sat in the audience, you don't get the zoom in on her hand where she's she's burning Maybe. things and the different shots and the different angles. You would just see her on stage. So I don't know if it's different because we've seen it from it being filmed perspective. I just, I think she's beautiful. Like the, the characterization of Eliza was very much there and yeah. she does such a good job. I haven't seen anyone else other than the original Broadway cast, of course. I think my highlight song, my favourite song is like Say No to This to listen to, but I think the best written song from a composer's perspective has got to be The Room Where It Happens. Yes. In the way, and I saw an interview years ago where um, Lin-Manuel Miranda was saying that he wrote it, it's the one that took the longest to write. 
Yeah. Because Aaron Burr wasn't there and obviously those meetings changed the way the country, the way America is now. Yeah. And they were such important bits of information. So to not have that told from Alexander Hamilton's perspective or Thomas Jefferson's, but to have it told from someone who wasn't in the room, I think that's so difficult to do well. Yes. It's something I haven't seen done as well as it was since um, Nick Carraway's narration in The Great Gatsby. It was... I have re-listened to the room where it happened since then and I was like, wow, that's... From a storytelling perspective. Yeah, I was like, the lyrics in particular are so clever. And when writing lyrics, you have... Oh, I... You have such in-depth like feelings about this song. Literally the only thing I wrote is... Um, I like the bit where Aaron jumps and they take the tablecloth off the table at that's... the same time. <laughs> he like, jumps up and the tablecloth is removed. See, it's that's got that the like, only finesse. note I have on that song. It's Sorry. got that like stagecraft, but it's also so well done. And it's the way the ensemble there as well. And the ensemble, I think, at that point are meant to be average Americans. And obviously Aaron Burr is a politician. He should know this type of thing. Mm-hmm. But he's as much in the dark as anyone the else. people who are asking him questions, saying, oh, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? He's like, I don't know. I'm not there. It's good. Okay, stop writing your love letter for that particular song. Never. It's so good. Why do they never wear full length trousers? I would imagine that's just um, a thing. Thing from the period. But like, why? I don't know. Someone, anybody who understands costume, I shall ask Amani. Yeah, anyone who understands costume or period costume in particular, why do they wear those weird like stockings and then trousers that come just below the knee? I do not. I just don't get it. Ask Do you know it might be horse riding? That might Ooh, be it. Maybe. I may have solved my own question, but Avani will tell us. Also, yeah. while we're on costume, once Washington has stepped down, when he comes back in, he's wearing, or like as he's stepping down, he's wearing that velvet jacket. Yes. <gasps> oh. I really love the costuming and how it like subtly changed as the characters got older. Yes, and how and with the different periods. Yeah. So once the war was over, you saw no more, no more soldiers' costumes. They were gone yeah. immediately. I loved Angelica's costume when she's leaving to go to London. Yes. And she's more mature. However, one thing I, th- I thought was quite clever is we see particularly Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton because they, again, use the turntable and they go toe-to-toe, I think, six times in on that turntable in the entire show. And each time they're slightly older and it's way, way at the start when um, George Washington introduces them and Aaron Burr says, oh, we keep meeting. I love that because you see them go from these like early 20s where he's like, oh, he's a bit of a prat. I can't say that on the podcast. He's a bit of an idiot. Yeah, he goes, yeah. oh, I don't like him. To they despise each other. and Because they were friendly for it. There was yeah, a bit where they are friends. The very start when Aaron Burr's like, let me give you some advice. Because I think Aaron Burr's but in a little the middle older. as well when they're both lawyers. In when New they're York, both lawyers, they, they I think they have very much like an like, adult respect. Yeah, it's like a love-hate relationship. It's like a, they appreciate each other's intelligence, or at least Aaron Burr does. However, I think something that I love about the way Lynn wrote it is Alexander Hamilton could have been this like hero, amazing person, and Aaron Burr could be your very stereotypical villain. However, there's not that. It's not it's like that. It's as at much all. telling Alexander's story as it is a redemption for Aaron Burr. And I think that's great because Alexander Hamilton, I personally think he's actually worse most of the time than Aaron Burr. He's so self obsessed. He has this absorption with absorption. He's so self-obsessed and he's completely absorbed with himself. He's like, I'm intelligent. I can do this. Everyone needs to listen to me. He's kind of like trying to get his own dictatorship, but yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nothing will ever be enough for him. And he's not a good person for a lot of it. And Aaron Burr is saying you need to... They're Talk very similar. Less 
smile more smile more yeah i like and i do think so the, one of the and i don't know whether or not lin-manuel miranda did this because it's about american history and most people know how it ends mm-hmm. but in the very first song he says that's aaron burr says he shoots hamilton that's a fairly common thing um, right okay well, i have never seen that before that's because... like um oh my goodness what's it called <laughs> if anyone like oh my drama teacher's gonna kill me if she's listening to this it's like the full circle thing. So, for example, Blood Brothers does it. I've not seen Blood Brothers. Blood Brothers goes. Have you ever heard the story of the? Oh Johnson no, I've twins? read that. Yes, yes, yes. yes so yes, start yes. to finish. Yeah. So you, it, you, go, you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. So and I me, think that's great. I thought it was really well done because obviously it's history and people already know the ending. But also, in it already sets him up as at some point he's going to kill him. And it, and it makes you pay attention to all the details as to why, mm-hmm. instead of you just going through thinking, oh, this is a great story about Alexander Hamilton, and then he dies at the end. You know he's going to die. You want to understand his downfall and why. Because to begin with, I was like, Aaron Burr, cool guy, yeah. Yeah, everyone has, each character has their own Hamasha. Each person does. So your Hamasha is like your fatal flaw. Okay. So Alexander Hamilton's is definitely his pride, but he's also so immature. Yeah. Like he, he grows up, kind of when philip dies that's when he kind of takes a step back and it's during its quiet uptown where he kind of takes a step back and realizes that he's lost what was most important to him and why does all this matter yeah and i think whereas it's not specifically said in the show he feels a lot of guilt for not spending as much time with philip and not having that family time because he doesn't you know when they go to stay with eliza's father he doesn't go he stays yeah and then he treats he, her yeah and then when he's i forget which song it's in but the one where philip has just turned nine and he's he kind of sees family as like a chore it's like a side thing yes yeah yeah. yeah. you know it's not he's not but i think that's a very common thread for a lot of people who do things that shape the way that we are in the world yeah you know you can look at uh, historically a lot of people who've changed whether it be business, whether it be politics, whether it be any medicine, any big fields where we've had big discoveries, if you look at the people that have done those, something in their life has to suffer. And I'm, I, when I was growing up, I used to hate people saying to me, you can't have everything, you can't have it all. Um, as a woman, I, we used to, I had a guy mm-hmm. uh, once say to me, uh, what are you going to do when you want to have kids? Because you, can't have, you can't have it all, so you're going to have to give up your career, or oh, you're going to have to not have kids. And, uh, and I remember being so angry and and it isn't fair, I don't think, to put that on somebody when they haven't made that choice. I also don't think it's fair of somebody who's not your significant other to make any commentary about what you're going to do about that. So but- I know, hate that because I I turned 18 less than a year ago and I'm already getting people saying, oh, you've got all these plans for work in progress or when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? And I'm like, why is that your business? I'm literally still a teenager. It's absolutely not their Can business. You- oh. But they do have a point you yeah, can't something have has everything. to give something has to give you can't be everything to everybody and you can see in history that people who've done great things they have flaws they are haven't either haven't been there for the family or you know something like that but i think it's but you but no i think it's i think it's true you can't have everything i also don't think it's particularly fair for other people to comment on it's your the expectation life. that it's always women though because yeah. like if if 100%. i was if i was a man i was like oh i'm setting up a theater company i've written a musical they'd be like great go do it however because i'm a woman they're like oh but what about you know like five years down the line you're gonna want to settle down I'm like five years time i'm gonna be 23 can we just chill <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think it's fair that it's that it's on women but Sorry. regardless i think um we are talking about a very different time in yeah. history um and and i do think that whilst it shows his selfishness i don't think that it 
for me personally, I don't think bad of him for not being a good father. No, it's very it's very typical of a man at that time. And even a man now. Sorry, I don't know what it's supposed to be. Sorry, Dad. (laughs) No, I just think, um, I do think that that still today, there are lots of men who are married with children who who their job is to go and and provide, they provide, yeah, yeah, 100%. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I guess because that for me is a foundational truth, I don't see any issue with him doing it. But I do understand your point that he didn't really grow up until Philip died. But I don't think it's necessarily because he wasn't a grown up because he didn't value his family. I think he just wasn't a grown up because... And he just took it for granted. And he was so jumped up. He was like, I am the best. I am... He very much had that like self-superiority. I think, yeah, I think what it did was make him realise that he wasn't everything he thought he was he's not a god think, you know yeah he exactly can... but i don't think it necessarily he only grew up because he started to care about prioritize his family over the government you know what i no. mean no it was because he kind of goes straight back to it when he's back after the election of 1800 we're like okay there we go you're back at it with Burr. yeah but family is definitely a key theme in it because even aaron burr says this man will not make an orphan of my daughter and that's like a huge motive for him and you do see bits where these big powerful men have these like reflective moments where they think about their wives their children yeah I only made, so I don't know how long that last bit is, but from Philip dying, I only made like seven notes and it was, oh my God, <laughs> I only made like seven notes. So I uh, one handed chair stuff, there was lots of ensemble people walking around with chairs in one hand, I thought it was very good. Um, redemption of the love arc so him and Eliza after Philip dies they kind of reconcile I really like that yeah I do too because I think that's so true in life when people when they go through something so traumatic they're either there's no like consolidation they're they're on their own or it's like the thing that brings them back it puts um everything into perspective I think for Eliza because she's bitter and angry about her and she's had every right to be because she's been betrayed by the person she loves most publicly publicly. publicly the reynolds pamphlet in general is that entire section i i loved it but that's because i knew what was happening but lottie was like wait wait, what what because i think it happened so quickly yeah and was, it doesn't make a lot of sense there's a part in the song where um that thomas jefferson a couple of other people are like oh my god i can't believe he published this basically and that that's where my brain went oh my god like and kind of twigged and so I very much had the same realization at the same time as the characters in terms Mm -hmm. of that shock the motives behind why he did that I found difficult Mm -hmm. to understand um oh and the very last thing I wrote talking about the end is what does Eliza's reaction mean so right at the end of the show they're talking about um is it who will tell his story who lives who dies who tells your story yeah beautiful number because in burn she says i'm taking myself out of the narrative and but she puts herself back in afterwards yeah the end that end song is her saying actually no i will tell his story and you have like a mini history lesson that brings you through what she did after he died yeah which i actually really like i like that she leads that song but lottie was saying oh why is she screaming at the theater yes and this was my take on it wait hang on let me give the context so so you go through she says about the orphanages and all this amazing stuff that she does and there's like the ensemble and the remaining characters kind of moving around i think alexander's still there because it's like just like after he's dead yeah everyone who's dead is in white and then aaron burr is in black yeah so uh, but eliza's like front and center and she's talking about all these amazing things that she's done and and kind of gives you the history of all the positive things that came from her it's basically her saying i'm putting myself back in the story i'm going to tell the world all these good things and then right as it's about to end she looks out over the audience almost as if she's like at the back of the audience and she lets out this like 
strangled scream of like shock as it almost if she's just seen a dead person like it was really weird and for a second I was like is she saying she's is that her dying like I didn't really understand what it meant so then when we finish Phoebe's take on it is super hot so that actually that scream at the end isn't in the cast recording it just goes who tells your story and that's the end that's like it cuts off there yeah however what I think it is is I think it is not Lynn coming back as Alex to reunite with Eliza as she dies I think it is Lin-Manuel Miranda coming on stage as Lin-Manuel Miranda, not Alexander Hamilton, and showing Eliza the theatre because her main thing was keeping Alexander's story alive and telling his story and making him have that legacy he was so desperate to have. It is him showing her the theatre and the production as a whole and what they've done with his story in their lives. And the scream is like her kind of being completely in gratitude to him because that's all she wanted. Because wow. particularly with Hamilton, I hadn't heard of Alexander Hamilton or any of the... I'd heard of, obviously, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. But I'd never heard of Alexander Hamilton before the musical came out. And I don't know if that is because, obviously, the other side of the pond, it's not something we really talk about as much. Yeah, we don't... It's not... History... But neither of us took history at any level beyond... Did you take history at GCSE? Yes. Yeah, but beyond that, we haven't really studied it. So I don't know if, like when you get into the higher echelons of studying history, you learn more about American history. The only thing I learned about American history was slavery. Yeah. That was it. I knew a bit about Abraham Lincoln and I I love history and I read a lot into it in my spare time, but that's something, because my mum obviously loves history as well. That's something we would do together. But I am more, coming from you, (laughs) but I'm more interested in British history. I'm interested in history, but it just, sometimes it just takes somebody to put something in front of you and go, hey, look at this, you know? So I like European like Renaissance history, but like that period is my favorite. Speaking of which, we have discussed the entire production and we haven't talked about one critical part, which for me could they could have taken out of the show. And the fact that we haven't mentioned it at all is testament to the fact that it could not be in the show and it would make zero difference to the production. And that is anything to do with the French Revolution. I do not understand why it was there, apart from a context setter for people across the pond. It was, it, it was just there as a context setter because Lafayette is a key character. Do you think so? Yeah, because he's one of Hamilton's friends. It didn't really give a huge amount of context for me because whilst Lafayette, great, he was a good character in the show, I still don't know who he is from a historical it's perspective. It's a big turn and it shows how much Je- Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton despise each other. And it is just for that, I actually think that entire build-up of talking about the French Revolution is just for that one bit where you kind of see how flawed Alexander Hamilton is and how he's very much self-centered. And it is when Thomas Jefferson says, do you not forget Lafayette? Do not have an ounce of regret that bit. Mm -hmm. I think it's at that point, it highlights how Alexander Hamilton will kind of push aside anyone who he considered a friend to push forward his vision and his view and I think that is why it is there okay to kind of highlight how Lafayette who is this character who and we see them in um, Battle of Yorktown and Guns and Ships they are really close they're like brothers but But when it comes to out down to it Alexander Hamilton will go on his own path and and I think that's a good point to make but I I don't I didn't get until you explained it to me so I understood Lafayette he had a French accent um, and they mentioned the French. Um, but I remember us having a conversation mid while watching it and me saying, I don't understand why is this French guy here? Did the French help them? And you were like, no, no, Lafayette was just in America at the time. 
that i mean they might have done i'm not sure uh, but, but that whole historical bit there wasn't enough information and it wasn't key enough to the story for me to come out away from watching hamilton understanding that whole dynamic and i get that maybe it did prove the point of of hamilton's agenda and that being all that was important to him especially when he and like were friends and i do understand that if that was an important piece of history they may not have wanted to miss it out but for me it just didn't really add anything that's fair and hamilton is very long it's almost three hours it was long but it's so good <laughs> it was very good but yeah it was long and i enjoyed act one more than i enjoyed act two which is ridiculous because there are pinpoint performances in act two that mm-hmm. are my favorites i but as a two. whole act one i preferred no i prefer act two 100 percent for act two i suspect just because act two has got a lot of people dying in it and people dying as we've already discussed makes me very sad Lottie just needs a hug i like act two because of the staging and like it's got that slanty thing it's got the turntable and they pull the the that part of the set that's kind of higher up they it pull that so out good. and yeah. it around yeah it's good. I like Act Two. Um, if you haven't seen Hamilton, this conversation probably will have made absolutely zero sense to you. Go and watch it. It's so good. I can't recommend it enough. And I know people say, oh, it's overhyped. And I actually was one of those people when I listened to the soundtrack. I was like, this is good. It's clever. But I think to really appreciate it and why people are raving about it, you have to see it. Yeah. Because the staging the of, and the production value so good. is what makes it so good. If you have seen Hamilton and you want to let us know your thoughts, whether you agree with us, whether you disagree with us, you can send us a tweet at, at WIP Theatre. Theatre spelt the British way. So T-H-E-A-T-R-E. And let us know your thoughts. Um, we should probably actually tweet off that count because there's nothing on there right now. Or if you want to interact with us on Instagram, it is just work in progress theater. Yes, and our accounts are tagged. Yeah, in the so. personal habit. If we're going to say them, um, my Twitter is Phoebe Bibby. Uh, my Instagram is Phoebe June Official, and my TikTok is Lunatic Yellow. I don't really use Twitter because. Not because I'm old, because Twitter's definitely a thing my generation uses. I'm just not good at it. Um, so you, you can talk to me on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and on Instagram, I'm Lottie CCM. L-O-T-T-I-E-C-C-M. And that's it. Should we wrap up? Uh, did we have we had some things to talk about in the wrap up? We did. So this episode will come out... When will it come out? The 2nd of April 2021. So hello, future people. Yes, so 2nd of April, um, and we're recording the next the next episode in April to come out on the 7th of May? We think so. It's the first Friday of every month, so yeah, first Friday. that should be the 7th. Yeah, and um, next next month's Lottie Listens is The Great Comet of 1812. And, and we're going to be watching the Les Mis movie for our review. Also, plug, 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 because you're talented and amazing, Beebs is releasing her first ever single? I am, yeah. Called... Daffodil, Daffodil flavor, flavor, which comes out on Monday, so it'll be out by the time this yeah, comes out. Yeah, so it comes out on the oof fifteenth. I will put a link to the YouTube video. Yeah, and I'm gonna it's gonna be on SoundCloud as well. Okay, I'll put I'll put the links in the show. And then I'm gonna try and get some stuff on Spotify soon. But yeah, Daffodil Flavor is coming out. I'm excited. Yeah, so I think are we saying goodbye? Are we done? Yeah, first episode that wasn't too bad. That was pretty good. Um, and we'll have we will speak to Tom again next month. Yep, so we'll be hearing from Tom again next month. This was fun. Okay. Yeah, that was great. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Okay, yeah, that was great. Thank you very much. And we will see you guys again next month. Bye. Keep smiling.